Welcome to Pastor Stephen Samuel's podcast, where it's our desire that you'll be encouraged and empowered to live as a disciple-making follower of Jesus. You know, I felt even uh, just as I'm spending time with the Lord these last few days, this past Sunday and even tonight, getting ready for tonight, that we just hear, keep hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, we are going to become a people of His presence. And there's just something uh, not mysterious, but very clear. When you get in God's presence, nothing else will satisfy like that presence of the Lord that's near us. And, and I'd love to tell you it's like a cause and effect thing that, you know, if you do these things, the presence of God shows up. But we all know that's not the truth because then we would idolize the process. But I'll tell you what, what the key is. When you feel God is near, go after it every time. Because there's times in God's providence and his wisdom, he comes near. And if we'll pursue him, we have this promise. If we pursue him, if we seek for him, search for him with all of our heart, he will be found by us. And so we should come every day that we get together, whether it's Sunday morning, Thursday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night services. When we get together, expect God to move, right? The only time God doesn't move is when nobody expects it, right? Every revival I've read, it wasn't a surprise. They were seeking God's face for months, sometimes years, and then the Lord would show up and explode with great power. And of course, everybody on the outside is like, oh, it just happened. No, it didn't. They worked on it for a long time, right? Pursuit takes time. And I feel that we are moving into a season where the Lord is getting closer. And I don't mean like the return of Jesus, but God's nearness to us as a church body, where the heavens are thinning and there's an ability to reach where we haven't been able to reach before. And I wish I could go through all the theology of it, but it all sums back to this. If we get hungry enough, he keeps showing up and the lives begin to change. Bodies begin to get healed and people begin to get transformed. And it's not just we have a better life and a bigger, better future. It's we are made into his image, right? And with it comes all the battles, right, of all the stuff that we have to deal with. But you make this priority. I'm going to get in God's presence no matter what, right? No matter what, I'm going to get in God's presence. And once you get that anchored in your heart, like this is the one thing I'm going after, I promise you, you will not have a disappointing future. You'll find him. And it'll change your world. And tonight I want to talk just a little bit more on, on that theme of pursuing God's presence. You with me? I want to talk to you about pursuing God's presence. And I know it's somewhat of a nebulous issue sometimes for people of, you know, give me the three steps. But I think the way to kind of best approach it is, rather than, you know, give me this methodology how to get in God's presence, one, two, three, and I get it. It's a little bit more like treasure hunting in the sense of we get clues throughout the scripture, not that God is trying to be mysterious without a purpose, but many times God wants to be pursued just like you and I want to be pursued in relationship, right? When I was a, a young teenager, college student, whatever, and, you know, me and the guys that, that I had, my friends, we'd hang out, and, you know, we talk about dating every once in a while. It wasn't like a big topic guys really talk about, you know. They're just like, you know, it, just do it, whatever, Go date somebody. But we, we, me and me and my good friends, we would talk about whenever you met a girl, right, and you were interested in her, if it didn't take much for her to just unload everything on you, that's a big red flag. 
If there's no mystery to who she is and she just unloads everything, all her problems, all her worries, and all her anxieties, and all the why you're the savior of the world, big red flag, right? There's more and it's not good. <laughs> right? But if you met a girl, and this would mean the guys would talk about, and I could be dead wrong, you know, you can, you can give me, you know, email me later. But if you met someone that they knew who they were and they were confident and they didn't need to sell you themselves, you found somebody that was not needing you to make their life happy, but they wanted someone to love them and to love, and that was a healthy person. And you would be surprised, of course, in my day, back in the day, how many times it was hard to find someone who didn't have a need for you, right? And I say that kind of on this pathway of, as we're pursuing God, it's the same way. God doesn't put everything out there for us. Because part of the growth process for us is the pursuit. You grow as you're pursuing. Because when you first start following Jesus, you pray and everything gets answered. Everything gets answered, right? And then all of a sudden, something happens. Breaks get hit. You pray and it doesn't happen. And the big question that's hanging in the air is, can you still pursue God when the answers don't come so quickly? Will you? Or will you get embittered? Well, God didn't answer my prayer this time, so we're done. Right? Or God didn't stop this bad thing from happening, so we're done. I didn't get my way like I did the last time, and so now I'm bitter, unforgiving, angry at God, and then that's where I stop in my relationship. Right? And so many times we get glimpses of who God is, but sometimes God is waiting for us to get to a place of hunger again, right? Hunger. And here's the crazy thing about hunger. You can make yourself hungry for the right things. You really can. You can make yourself hungry for the right things. A big part of cultivating a good hunger or a good appetite is not eating all the wrong things, right? Because... Every one of us knows the health food trick. It's not you, when you feel healthy, you start eating healthy. You start eating healthy first, and then you start feeling healthy. If you wait to feel healthy to eat healthy, you'll never eat healthy, right? You always feel like, I can't make it without my donut, you know, or my coffee, right? But if you change your diet, then all of a sudden, you start feeling things you've never felt before, clean, healthy, strong. Does that make sense? And so tonight, I want to just give you some glimpses, bits, pieces, if you will, of how to encourage your hunger for the Lord, how to move forward, and just practical steps of cultivating that hunger. Now, I'll tell you the story, and then we'll dive into this. Uh, a number, many months ago, I started running, you know, and a good friend of mine encouraged me that's a great way to stay in shape, that doesn't take a lot of thought, you know, you just run, you know. And so I started running. And so when I first started running, uh, I would put in my earpods or whatever, and I'd start listening to books, you know, audiobooks. And, and for some people, that worked. For me, it was not working very well. I'd, get, I'd be so focused on what I was listening to, I'd stop running. I'd just start walking, you know, because I'm like trying to process through this, you know. So that didn't work. So another, uh, somebody told me, you know, well, you need to listen to this. 
blah, 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 when you run. And so I uh, went to YouTube, and they have actually songs or uh, motivational speeches, I should say, put to music that you can listen to while you're running. And they're about running. They're not about anything else, right? It's about running. And so I found a couple of these videos, and they're really, uh, you know, watch them, you listen to them, a couple of these videos on YouTube, and I started running. And it was amazing, you know, just the speeches. And they're from, you know, uh, athletes and, you know, motivational speakers. And some of them are, you know, they have clips of like preachers preaching things and stories from the Bible. And, and it's really good, you know. And uh, so as I'm running, one of these speeches that this guy, and I don't know who it is, I, I probably should know, uh, but he says, you know, he says, uh, you know, the best time to kill an animal is right after it eats. Because it's the most satisfied and least aggressive. And he says, what has, uh, I forgot the exact word, stifled your hunger? You've gotten a little bit of success, a little bit of accomplishment, and now you're full and you're a sitting duck. You're a prey. Right? You're, you're, you're someone to be preyed upon. When you lose your hunger, that is the most opportune time the enemy will come after you because you're satisfied. You're satisfied. Everything's going your way. You know, the bills are paid. The marriage is going good. The kids are happy. The gas tank is full. The air conditioner works. We're just satisfied, and we really don't have any motivation to change anything. We're just trying to live and stretch out the good moment as long as we can. You know what I'm saying? And that is the time, not that we live in fear of it, but that is a time then where you can really fall off the pathway that God has for you. And I'm saying that not because we're not to enjoy good times, but I'm saying when you've been in that season and it's been years, you're not growing anymore either. You're not growing. And somehow the Lord in his wisdom allows us to get back to hunger when things go wrong in our life. And rather than just fix the problems, he's hoping we push past, push past just fixing problems to, Lord, I can't make it without you. Because that's where real life kind of begins. We get to the place of, God, I can't make it without you. Like, the whole process of the scriptures points to this direction of, we are to be a people who live with the presence of God all around us, all the time. God wants to make his, the big word, habitation with us. Well, to live in that place, you always have to want to be with him. I mean, yes, we know there's the uh, omnipresence of God. God's presence is everywhere. But the nearness of God's presence, where you feel the weight of who he is, we can so quickly lose our hunger for that, number one, because we don't experience it, or there's long intervals of time where we've gone without it, so we think that's normal. But it's not normal, right? It's abnormal for a believer to be able to go months, years, without feeling the nearness of God. We should feel close to him all the time. The whole point of the incarnation, Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. That's the whole point of the incarnation. God wants to be near to us. And not just, oh, I know he's there, 
but I can sense him strongly by me. So how do I get to that place? We talked about this Sunday about chasing after God and some of the excuses that we give, right? And I won't go through all of them, but, you know, the encounter, the, the, the excuse we give, well, this is not for everybody, you know? Or only special, certain people can live in this place of encountering God's presence. Another excuse is, you know, I'm happy with where I am. I don't need any more of Jesus. And that's a dangerous place. The other excuse is I only need a little bit of Jesus because I've got to accomplish all this other stuff in life, and then I can really go after him. And the last excuse, you know, I don't know where to start. And we talked about Jacob starting in a place of crisis. That's a great place to start in crisis, right? When you feel out of control, that's the closest to reality you're going to get because you have really no control over what's going on in your life. He does. He is the one who literally orchestrates everything that's going on in this world for our good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we can know those things by his spirit. And as we think about that, and as we, as we went through those, I think the concluding thought from, from Sunday is this. Number one, you have to believe that you can regularly have encounters with Jesus. Because if you don't believe that, it's just not going to happen. Let me say it again. You have to believe that you can regularly have encounters with Jesus. So take everybody off of the pedestal of they can have it because they're really high and up and special and I'm down here and maybe I'll have one or two experiences in my life. The whole point of Jesus coming is for you to have a relationship with him, regularly encountering him face to face numerous times in your life. Paul said, I've had so many encounters with him, I can't even tell you about the encounters I've had. Right? So it's not abnormal. Well, Stephen, that's just for the Apostle Paul because he was the founding of the church and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we can make up all the excuses we want, but the scriptures speak very clear to us that every believer should be encountering Jesus. That is the essence of the Christian life. And the fact that so many mainstream ideologies in the Christian faith are built around just glimpses of getting God or glimpses of revelation from the scriptures is all we can hope to get is really a huge fallacy. You should be able to encounter God's presence regularly and radically throughout your life. Say, so how do you know that, Stephen? John chapter 14, verse 19 to 21. Jesus is speaking. The context is very important because he's speaking to the disciples right before the crucifixion. And he looks at them and he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit who is to come. He says, he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He is with you now, but he will be where? In you after I go to the cross. And so Jesus, as he's telling the disciples this, he says this passage here in John 14, verse 19 to 21. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So what is he talking about? He's going to where? The cross to die. And after death, the resurrection. And then what's going to happen? He's going to ascend to the Father. And he says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. He's not being mystical. He's not being uh, poetic. It's a very real statement. People of the world are not going to see Jesus anymore. And then he says, but you will think about me, read about me, 
pray to me and not see, you will see me. So the expectation is people in the world don't experience Jesus in a visible way, but the church, they, the disciples, are to do what? See him once or twice. He makes this, this tense as a very continuous verb, as in they will continually not see me, you will continually see me, okay? Because I live, you will live also. He hinges this promise of our ability to see him on the reality that he will rise again. So just as positive as we are in his resurrection, we should be positive about our ability to see him. What's the point of him rising from the dead and nobody seeing it? Right? Not a lot. But he's saying, just as I live, you will live also. At that day, what day is he talking about? The day when you see him. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's pretty intense. When you do what? At that day when you see him. You know, a lot of Christians are shaken in their faith so easily sometimes as they're not having regular encounters with Jesus. When you have regular encounters with Jesus, you're pretty certain he is the Lord, and there is no other way. But if you only had a youth camp experience 50 years ago, 40 years ago, right, you're not going to be very confident in the faith because this is a relationship. And if I don't experience him regularly, it really depreciates the value of my confidence in who he is. Now, some people, they go for decades never having an experience with Jesus, and kudos to them for sticking it out. But man, why stick it out that long without an experience when it's promised here that you will see him? Read on here. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is not a vain promise. This is Jesus giving the disciples a very clear promise of experiencing him. He says first what? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. This is really big because the, the, the linchpin of experiencing Jesus is you have to love him. And if you don't love him, you're not going to experience him over and over and over and over. Just like in your life, the people you see the most often are the people you love and like. So you're like, well, not really. I mean, it's supposed to be that way, right? The people that you uh, intentionally see in your life are the people you like. Now, I know there's people you don't intentionally see in your life, but you work with them, and so you're with them. But like your spouse, your kids, you want to spend time with them. Why? Because you love them, and because you love them, they see you, and you see them. And Jesus is making the same parallel. If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. This is really important, and I know it's fundamental 101 Christianity. But you cannot live in disobedience to Jesus' command and expect regular, continual experiences with him. Because when you see him, things start changing. When we see him as he is, John would later on go to say in 1 John, we shall be like him, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. So 
every encounter with Jesus, I would say, changes something on, in the inside of you. You go from, let's just be honest, being a jerk to being nice. From being angry to being happy. From being an anxious and stressed out to the peace of God ruling your heart. How does that happen? I can't explain it. You get in Jesus' presence and things just start changing. Right? He begins to give you alternatives, ways to think about life and reality. He does the changing inside of you if you'll just get in his presence. And the way to get in his presence is first keeping his commandments. Because we keep his commandments out of a love for him. Well, sidebar, you cannot say, I love Jesus while you are breaking his commandments. You really love yourself is what you're saying with your behavior. You could say it all you want with your mouth, but your life is saying, I like my life the way I want to do it, and I want to Jesus to approve of it, and that's not keeping his commandments. That is actually disobeying his commandments, right? We have to keep his commandments. Well, what is his commandments? Well, the whole book is his commandments, right? It's not just love God and love people. That's the inclusive that the umbrella statement of why we do everything else, love God, love people. But his commands are be holy as I am holy. His commands are love one another as I have loved you. His commands are flee sexual immorality. His commands are walk this way, walk in the light as he is in the light. I mean, we can't just pick the commands that we like <laughs> and ignore the ones we don't because you won't experience him that way. You'll experience ideas about him, but you're not going to experience him if we don't keep his commandments. Jesus' commandments to his disciples were not just love God, love people. They were deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? They were, don't be angry with your brother. They were love those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you. I mean, we go through all of Jesus' teachings, and all of them come down to this. You can't get your way and live his way. Right? But we need to know the commands. And part of knowing the commands is spending time in what he has said. Learning the teachings of Jesus. So the first glimpse of encountering God, the first nugget truth, if you will, is I have to know what Jesus says. And then begin to align my life with that. That's called keeping his commands. And then he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And notice, love is the motivation of obedience, not having encounters, though that's the side effect, but it's love. Because I love him, I keep his commandments. And then he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. Interesting. Interesting thought here. People who always feel condemned, many times the condemnation is there. God doesn't love me. Well, you got to get to the root of where does that come from? Is it because you're not keeping his commands? Condemnation is the result of sin. Guilt and shame is a result of sinful behavior or broken ways of thinking. And so when there's condemnation, I need to get to the root. Am I believing a lie about myself or am I doing something that's wrong, thinking, behaving in a way that's ungodly, that opens the door for condemnation? Because there should be no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But if I'm not in Christ, guess what I'm going to daily contend with? Condemnation. And then he says, I will be you will be what? Loved by the Father. I will feel, sense the Father's love when I'm keeping Jesus' commands. I'll feel it. Not because I've earned it, but because I've removed junk out of my life. And there's a huge difference 
in walking in righteousness and walking to acquire righteousness. I should say it this way. There's a huge difference in living because you're righteous or living in a way to become righteous. When you're born again, you are immediately made righteous right before God. And inside of you is stuck, placed inside of you, the righteousness of God, the desire to do right. It's already in there. Every believer has this desire to please the Father. You know what? I didn't have to train my kids to like me. They were born with it. Before they could communicate in language, Dad, they love, they love me because they're my kids. I didn't have to put that in them. They're born with it. When I was, Every dad knows this, this feeling. Come home after work and your little kid sees you and they run toward you, right? Dad's home. We don't know if that's because they were tortured by mom <laughs> or they just need a new face. Whatever the reason, dad, all my kids, you know what I'm saying? When I get home at work, they love it. And of course, mom's a little like, what the, what's going on here? You know, been with you all day doing everything for you, you know? Regardless, there's a love for the father. It's in them. I didn't have to train them. Hey, listen, when I get home at five o'clock, I need you to run to the door, okay? <laughs> Yell my name. I didn't have to do that. Why? Because it's inside of them. It's their nature. The same way, when you are born again, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that the Holy Spirit, we cry out by the Holy Spirit, Daddy, Father. Right? Our spirit cries out for the Father. And so when we keep his commandments, we keep that ability alive to love the Father. We're righteous already. Now, the only thing that gets, well, well how do Christians get into habitual sin? Well, here's what they do. Rather than naturally wanting to obey the Father and be affectionate in obedience to the Father, they lie to themselves that sin will bring some kind of pleasure they're missing out on. And they get trapped in that. They believe a lie. The truth is, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, sin will have no dominion over you because the love for God is much more powerful than the love for sin. Unless you believe the lie that some kind of sinful behavior or thought process or deception is going to fulfill you more than a love for the Father. And that's where people get stuck. It's not that it is more powerful, it's that they believe it's more powerful. Right? And so he says, the Father will love you, and he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, Jesus speaking, and will manifest myself to him. And that word manifest in the original language means to make visible by seeing. Jesus wants to show himself to everybody. When I was first going in the mission field and going to these foreign countries, you know, we'd hear stories in, in the Middle East, kind of like Fabian shared with us the, a couple of weeks ago. Supernatural stories, numerous stories of Muslims, you know, in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Iran and Iraq who would have dreams and Jesus would appear so many times to them. I got a little jealous, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's, what's going on here, Lord? Like, you know, how many nights I ate all that crazy pizza just to have a dream? You know, what's going on? And Jesus, I mean, I remember just having that talk with the Lord, like you probably have too. Like, why can't I have all these dreams? And his response was, well, why can't you? Maybe they're looking for something you're not looking for. 
Maybe they're hungry, and out of their desperation, they're pushing past all this stuff that you have a little difficulty pushing past. Or maybe they don't have as much stuff to push past as you do. You know? So I started praying, Lord, I'd like to have some dreams. Right? And here's a fun little tip, which is totally not in your Bible. If you want to have great dreams, you have to go to sleep at some point. Three hours ain't going to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? So I need to put the discipline in my body of giving my body rest and then asking the Lord for encounters. And listen, I can't tell you hundreds of dreams that I've had where Jesus comes and talks to me. Hundreds. Say, oh, I want that. Well, start asking. Start pursuing. Like, this is a lifelong chase. Start asking. Start pursuing. And you know what's going to start happening? The Holy Spirit's going to start helping you. He's going to say, hey, listen, how about we get rid of this? You don't need five hours of Netflix every night. I might need to talk to you. Let's turn it off. Okay. You don't need to fill your head with all that garbage. Let's get that out. Okay. And then you start the pursuit. And the pursuit in the scriptures many times is often called holiness. Without holiness, none will see the Lord. I start setting myself, preparing myself to encounter him. It's such a, a fragmented uh, analogy, but it's, it's the truth. It's like, I have teenage boys. They're behind me, so I can't say too loud. I have teenage boys. And here's the problem with teenage boys. Eric, you'll understand this, right? They like to stink. They don't want to wear deodorant, and they don't like taking baths. They don't, they don't like that stuff because they want to stay up late, and they want to eat junk, and they play their guitar and hang around and burp and belch and all the other noises that they can make, and they really stink. Like you go in the room, and there's a definite boy odor in the room. But here's this phenomenal thing that happens. Somehow, one day, it'll just happen miraculously. They come out of that room, out of that bathroom, after being locked in it for a number of hours. And they smell great. And their hair is combed. And they're shaved. The little peach fuzz is gone. Right? And they look nice. And you're like, what happened? Did you give your life to Jesus? <laughs> and you and I all know what happened. They found somebody that they're slightly interested in. And automatically, things begin to change. Right? It's no different for us. When you're in love with Jesus, holiness is easy. It's easy. Not because you have some great grit to be holy, but because you love him. Because we love him, we keep his commandments. It's easy. It's easy to say no to sin. Do you know what I'm saying no to? It doesn't even matter. I'm going to get him. And when I find him, all this stuff, it's nothing. Like that old carol old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Everything else pales in comparison of pleasure when you see him. Nothing, nothing will satisfy like that experience with him. Jesus said, I and the Father, we will manifest ourselves. In fact, later on in John's gospel here, he says, I and the Father, we will come to you and make our dwelling with you. Hang out with you. Spend time with you. 
where it's common ground for you to talk with us. Probably the greatest example of this relational, I'd say the greatest, the most common example we see of this relationship in the Old Testament. Ironically, not so much in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see the life of David. David was a fun guy, you know what I'm saying? But from a very young age, he had a place in his heart. He always wanted to be near the Lord. He loved the Lord God of Israel. And they didn't even know his name except Yahweh, the God who is. Okay, that's, that's what's his name? He's the God who is. <laughs> and he had an affection for God from a very young age, which marked him above all others. And the Lord saw him through the prophet Samuel, comes to him and says, you're the one. You're the one. And through you, as the prophecy goes, right, through him would come Messiah. But it wasn't just because of his lineage and his heredity. David had something a lot of the guys before him didn't have. See, David didn't find God in a crisis. He found God when there was nothing going on. A shepherd out in the hills with some sheep. Possibly the son uh, of a, an illicit affair. His father, Jesse, had an affair. And then there's David as a result of the affair. And so he's kind of tucked in the corner. David didn't have a mother and dad that raised him to follow God and all this stuff. He just had an affinity, a love for God that he developed in himself for God. And the reason I say it's so uh, unhinged from all these causes is because Anybody can be hungry for the Lord. Anybody can. You, you can disqualify yourself if you want, but you're the only person that's doing the disqualification. Everybody has the opportunity. The question is, how hungry are you going to be? How hungry? What does it take to stop your hunger? A little bit of money? A little bit of success? A brand new truck? Is that, is that enough and then you're done? A little prosperity at the workplace? A nice material this and that? Is that all it takes for you to be like, oh, I don't need to go seek the Lord today. I've got all this stuff to do. What does it take? And here, that's the big question that you got to ask yourself. What am I satisfied with? What is it that I wake up in the morning for? What is it that drives me above all this other stuff? Listen, sometimes even the precious things in our life can cause a satisfaction that will impede us from pursuing further with Jesus. Right? Not necessarily bad things, sometimes good things. I've got a great family. I'm going to go spend time with my kids. I'm going to go do this. And all that stuff is good. But after a while, I can't let those things dissipate my hunger. Listen, I can spend time with my family all the time and put off pursuing Jesus. And there's a balance. You know what I'm saying? We're not sacrificing family on the altar, but there's a balance. Because listen, those kids one day, they will grow up and they will be gone. And you have a pursuit. But here's what I found. If I make him first and I'm pursuing him, my relationship with others also gets healthy. But if I pursue people and healthy relationships and great, all these good relationships and I neglect him, then those things start falling apart. Or as Jesus would say, 
Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things. And what other things is he speaking of? Financial success, taking care of clothes, food, those things. All those things, they'll be taken care of. David, as he writes here in Psalms chapter 16, and I know we've got to wrap it up here. We're almost done. David writes in the psalm, and, and he says, uh, verse, chapter 16, I'll start at verse 1. He says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You alone make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen. I'm sorry, the, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me every night. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This little psalm that David writes is a poem of some sort, and he's given us some tidbits of how he stays in this place of regularly encountering the Lord. First, if you jump down to verse 8, and I've read it in multiple translations, but essentially he says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. One version says, I have set the Lord before my face regularly. He's saying, I'm having these encounters with God, seeing the Lord over and over. And how he gets to this place, first he starts off and he says, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Look at verse 3 again. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom all is my delight. Notice, David starts this poem off of telling us what he says. The doorway to accessing God many times is closed or opened by what you're saying with your mouth about God and about people. Say, so, Stephen, that doesn't really connect. I mean, this relationship with God is just me and the Lord. What does it matter what I say about other people? It matters everything. Because you cannot have putrid waters and fresh waters come out of the same well, as James said. If you're running your mouth and gossip and slander about people, complaining, criticizing, you know what I'm saying? And then you get here and you're like, Jesus, I just want to be near you. And you're like, I can't feel nothing. What's going on? It's because you spend all day criticizing, complaining, griping, moaning, groaning, and you're taking your potty mouth and trying to worship Jesus. It ain't going to work. Because you've just done a lot of destruction throughout the week and then you get up here and expect God to respond to you when he says, the pure in heart will see God. Our mouth opens or closes the capacity for us to experience Jesus. When I first kind of stumbled onto this, I remember it marked the way I talked as a teenager, as a college kid. You know, because in church life, there's a lot to gossip about when you're a preacher's kid. Because you get the inside scoop. You know what I'm saying? You hear things that nobody else can hear. Right? And hearing them is not such a bad thing. It's when you start repeating them, then you get in trouble. Right? And so many times, I remember as a college kid, 
you know, the Lord would deal with me a lot of times about me just running my mouth. Not even necessarily about bad things or bad people or bad situations, but just complaining sometimes and moaning and groaning. And how many of you ever just catch yourself complaining all the time? You're like, what's going on here? I, what are you doing? You're closing the door of encounter with the Lord. So David says here, this is how he starts. I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And he's speaking out of his mouth that making a profession, Jesus is the Lord. He is the boss of my life, right? Lord's a word we don't use in our language very often. Boss is a good one. Who's the boss of your life? He is. So many times, if I want to have encounters with Jesus, here's, here's a little clue that he's given us. Talk to God about him. Right? God, I thank you for what you're doing today. Thank you that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm making up stuff. I mean, I'm taking things out of the text of scriptures of how to honor and worship God with what? My mouth. Right? My mouth. I open the door by worshiping God with my mouth. Don't wait for the music to start. Don't just wait for Sunday morning, Wednesday night services. The moment you wake up, try it. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that you're the Lord of my life. I thank you that you're going to guide me. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, you are worthy of my worship today. You're worthy of every word that I say, and I want to honor you with my speech. And then the second part, he says, I will say of what? The holy people who are in the land. Now, of course, G David is speaking here of the Jewish people. We don't want to take it out of context, but he's talking about God's people. So how we talk about other people also opens the door. The two are very closely connected. How we talk about God and how we talk about people either prepares our hearts for an encounter with God or it shuts down all possibility of connection because we've been running our mouth, right? And I'm not saying bad things won't happen and you don't have reason for complaint, but you have a choice whether you're going to complain or not. True story. Yesterday I got home from work, get home, and about halfway through the day, my my wife texts me, hey, I think there's a problem. You know, y'all like getting that text, right, guys? I think there's a problem. She says, the air conditioner is on this, and it's, it's like 82 degrees in the house, you know. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what. You know, so I'm thinking through all my little whatever things. And so I just said, okay, what, you know, I'll, I take a look at when I get home. So I get home, and it is, the AC is dead, right? Not working. And as soon as, you know, I get up in the attic and I look around, look at the little pan, make sure it's not overflowing, blah, 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 piddle around a little bit of this, that. I'm not an AC guy, so I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm just up there sweating myself to death, you know. <laughs> and, I, and as I was working, it's just the fear of, you know, you're going to have to replace your air conditioning. That's going to be like $5,000. And this, you know what I'm talking about. Like all these numbers start going through your head. Like I don't have that kind of money sitting around to buy new air conditioning, blah, blah, blah. So I did what everybody does. I call somebody that knows something, right? I call Denny our pastor here, because he knows a little bit about our conditioning. I said, Danny, we got a problem. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking like, can you come over tomorrow or whatever? Danny's such an awesome guy. He comes over right away, right? Jumps in, it's like after church last night. He jumps in his car and him and his, his brother, they come over and we're out there in the heat, you know. It's like 85 degrees after the sun goes down, you know. And uh, we're playing around and sure enough, he, he analyzes it and this is broke and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So go back in my house, take a shower, nice cold shower. You know, yay, thank you, Lord, for cold air. And I just had to make a decision. I'm not going to complain. It's hot. I'm not going to complain. So I tell the kids, you know, we have an upstairs bedroom that has its own little AC. I say, kids, y'all can go upstairs. Mom's up there sleeping. Y'all can go up there and sleep, and it's nice and cool. And, and uh, I'll just camp out down here. 
and, you know, turn on the fans and whatever, I'm sleeping. And it's warm, but, you know, I'm Indian. I can handle the heat a little bit, a little more than the rest of the guys. So it's nice and warm. I'm laying in my bed. The fan's going, it's, 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 it's okay. I can manage. And I just remember my spirit telling myself, and this is what you have to do. That's why I'm not giving an example. Telling myself, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to thank the Lord. Lord, I thank you. You're going to provide, even though there's this gnawing fear that I don't have money sitting in the bank to buy an air conditioner right now. I'm just going to trust you to take care of it. I'm going to call the people I need to call tomorrow. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to text a few people. Got a little plan structured in my head. Help me out, Lord Jesus. But I'm just going to be thankful. I went to bed. It was probably 10 o'clock. I woke up at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. A little warm. But every time I just had to say, God, I thank you. Thank you that you're going to provide. Thank you that you're going to provide. Lord, I thank you for your presence. And just begin to worship. And of course, I woke up a little early. And you know what happens as Christians when you wake up early? It means prayer time. Yes. Right? Wake up a little early. Thank you, Lord. I get, got up a little early, walked around my bedroom, walked around the living room, just praying in the spirit, thanking the Lord. I think, I know what you're thinking. Stephen, I'm not that spiritual. Let me tell you, it's because you choose not to be. You can tell yourself, I am that spiritual. And I am going to take the opportunity. And I am going to thank the Lord. So I'm going to thank the Lord. I'm going to thank, so I woke up and got the kids ready. I had the men's breakfast thing this morning. Told a couple of buddies, hey, I need some help with the air conditioner. Got some phone numbers, called people, blah, blah, blah. Just trust the Lord, right? And I just, and I'm saying this not, oh, look at Stephen. I'm telling you, this is how easy it is, right? Had a friend come over about 4 o'clock today. He came. He's an air conditioning guy. Stopped by, looked at it, fixed it, a couple hundred bucks. Praise the Lord. And then I get to church here, and the presence of the Lord is here. And you know what? I can easily go into worship because I don't have 48 hours of complaining my brains out. <laughs> right? It's easy. Because guess what happens if I'd been complaining my brains out? Then I've got to unload all that stuff. God, I'm so sorry for being an idiot with my mouth and griping at the air conditioning and griping at this and griping at that and yelling at the kids or yelling at my wife. I didn't have to go through all that mess. Why? Because my mouth is the doorway through which I access his presence. The Bible says it like this. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into the gates with praise. That's not just a formula. It's a lifestyle. And so the, the tidbit that, that David gives us here in Psalm 16 is what? I'm saying this to the Lord. I'm saying this to people. Jump ahead. He says, verse, uh, verse 7, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Here's what happens. The more I praise God with my mouth throughout the day, and I'm not saying you got to pull out a banjo and lead worship as you're driving to work and, you know, go crazy and everybody's like, oh, that guy never quits playing. I'm not saying extremes. I'm just saying in your thoughts, you direct yourself to worship. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that you're worthy and that you've given me what I need. I thank you you're going to provide all that I need for life and godliness. I thank you that these bills are coming, but you're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. You're going to take care of me. And listen, I have to tell myself, say, Stephen, I don't always feel that way. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with how you feel. I'm not saying ignore your feelings, but don't be led by your feelings. You, be, tell, your, you tell yourself how to feel. I'm going to thank the Lord because he's worthy of my thanks and not how I feel. 
And here's the crazy part. The more I engage myself intentionally in thanking and worshiping, the more my heart starts to get there. Because I'm saying it, listen, not mumbling it under my breath or just in my thoughts. I am saying it with my mouth and my ears are hearing what I'm saying. And that's so important. I'm saying it. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you for who you are. And then if I need a little help, I'll turn on some worship music and I'll worship. And I find songs that worship Jesus, not just sing about how I feel all the time, which those are fine, but many times I'm worshiping Jesus. And what am I doing? I'm opening a door to encounter him. Verse 7, I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at, even at night, my heart instructs me. As you do this, what happens is what you're saying starts getting into your heart. And then before you know it, it's who you are. You're a worshiper. And then he says, verse 8, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. How? By this verbal affirmation, constant worship of experiencing and being grateful to him. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's a great place to be. Always knowing the Holy Spirit is right here. At my right hand, which means what? The place of power. I will not be shaken. A couple of scriptures and we'll wrap this up. Ecclesiastes 5.3 also gives us one of these hints. He says, For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. One translation says, through many, many words, through many words, dreams are made. You know how to have encounters with the Lord in the dreams? Talk about him all day long. You'll start encountering him. Read his word all day long. Or like me, I'm, I'm was, you know, kind of slackers. I'm listening, audiobook in the scriptures, the Psalms, all the time. I'm getting it in my heart. Not just through repetition, but I'm getting it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And what's happening? It's getting in my heart. You know where dreams come out of? Your heart. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17, he says it like this. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Listen, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. If we talk all the time about everything, all the time, talk, 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 talk. And listen, some people I know personality-wise are prone to talk a lot more than others, but the scripture, this principle doesn't vary based on personality. If you're running your mouth, the Bible says here, in the abundance of words, sin is not lacking. Eventually, you're going to talk yourself into a hole, a belief system that keeps you from experiencing Jesus. And so I remember, as, like I was saying earlier, when I was young in the faith, I read this passage and this concept, and all of a sudden, I wanted to talk a little less. <laughs> and I'm not saying don't talk at all, don't go to extremes, but I found myself saying less, listening more, and worshiping more. The more I talk about me and my problems and who I am and what I've done and where I want to go and my dreams and my hopes, I'm talking about me, 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 all the time. Eventually, you know what happens? That access to Jesus I'm closing it because who am I thinking and talking and meditating on all the time? Me. I mean, I know we see it in other people and we think, well, that's kind of repulsive. But many times we don't see it in ourselves. If all you talk about is your job and your fishing trips and your career and your success and your dreams and hopes and plans, and not that they're bad, but it's just all about you, 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 you. Eventually, the abundance of words 
Sin is not lacking. Pride slips in. Anxiety slips in. Greed slips in. Our words are the doorway through which we experience Jesus. Abiding in him, in him is the key that John gives us in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. The word abide is there. And that literally means what? Staying close to him. And I'll read this passage and we'll close up. John 15, 7. Jesus saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you by my Father. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As, I, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. How do we get our joy full? We abide in him and in his word. What does that abiding in his word mean? Because we say that a lot. It means hearing and obeying his voice. I'm speaking his word, hearing his word, obeying his word. And what happens? I'm encountering Jesus, the word of God. Let's do this as we, as we wrap up. When we experience Jesus over and over and over again, to, to that end, there's a conversation, a dialogue that happens that gets us there. And many times it starts with us worshiping, thanking him, speaking to him. But there's two other parts to this. Not only are we speaking to him, worshiping, thanking him, but there comes a time where we listen. And somehow, I know for a lot of us, silence makes us nervous. I gotta do something right now. I gotta pick up my phone, right? A huge part of when I've experienced and have experienced Jesus is after I'm finished worshiping and talking to him in my time of devotion or while I'm driving. Sometimes I have to turn off the radio, put the phone down, turn it, not sometimes, every time, turn all the devices off and just listen. And you clear your head of all the anxious thoughts, this coming, that going. Joyce Myers gives a great tip on that. So just have a notepad out. If thoughts start coming in, just write it down. I'll take care of that later. And then just listen. And listen, if you're used to always having something going on, it takes longer to stop until you get into the discipline of stopping. But you just have to listen. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And you can start hearing. That prophet, prophetic stuff comes out. His direction for your life comes out. You just listen. And it's a skill that you have to train your mind to do. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's a discipline of the mind. You have to stop yourself thinking about everything and say, Lord, I am listening. And you have to stop all the thoughts. I'm listening to Jesus right now. And when you give him room to speak like that, sometimes it's two, three minutes. Sometimes it's 10, 15 minutes of just worship and listening. That's when he speaks. There's three parts to this. You speak. You listen. And the last part is obedience.
There's no point in hearing if you don't intend to obey. In fact, many times you will not hear unless you go in with the intention to obey. Which means, Lord, I put everything I, that I want to do to the side right now. And whatever you tell me, I will obey. And you'll be amazed how loudly he will say, do this. Because you're not going to come up with an argument. You're going to just obey. Our encounters with Jesus should be frequent, should be powerful, should be often part of our life. And those encounters start with our words, how we talk to God, how we talk to people. And as we're talking to God, right, and guarding our words to people, we get into that quiet place, worshiping him with our mouth, listening and hearing his voice so we can obey. Tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit has given us just some clues this how you get closer. Trust me, today is Wednesday. You do this and you come back here on Sunday, the Holy Spirit will blow your mind. Because now you've got a group of, what is it, about 50 people in here that all week long we're making time to listen. And we're worshiping. And we're not complaining. And we're opening the door for an encounter with our mouth. And as we do that, then we'll, 40 of us, 50 of us get together. Forget about all the other people, right? Just us here. And you come here expecting God to speak in a powerful way to his church. Guess what's going to happen? Revival will happen. God is looking for a people who can hear his voice. Not just a few people. Cities of people who know how to get into his presence. Worship him throughout the day. Throughout their work week. No matter who hears his voice, get together and say, Lord, we're here. We're listening. And as we listen, we begin to change things in our life, attitudes, behaviors, patterns. And then we start looking and acting like him because we're hanging out with him all the time. We're hanging out with him all the time. Thank you for listening to Stephen's podcast. To connect with us or to order his book, A Reason for Hope, visit stephensamuel.org. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, you guessed it, Stephen Samuel. Thanks for listening.